0: Well, I think if you have a really good conversation with somebody, they seem to understand that God loves them, there's forgiveness available to them. Don't be afraid to say to the person, is there any reason keeping you from trusting Christ right now?
1: first-person guest now is Dr. Jerry Root, who will not only tell us his own story of coming to faith in Christ, but will tell us how to overcome any fear we have about talking with others about the gospel. Welcome to The Conversation. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Before we hear from our guest, let me thank the Far East Broadcasting Company for the support which makes First Person possible here on your station. FEBC is dedicated to proclaiming the news of Jesus Christ to the world through radio and digital media, and you can help with your support. Learn more at firstpersoninterview.com. Also at the website, you can learn more about our guests, including a schedule of upcoming interviews. Go to firstpersoninterview.com. Dr. Jerry Root is professor of evangelism and director of Wheaton Evangelism Initiative at the Billy Graham Center. He is well known as a scholar and lecturer concerning the life and writings of C.S. Lewis, but in this interview, it is his desire to help Christians to naturally share their faith with others that we want to focus on. Along with Stan Guthrie, Dr. Root is the author of The Sacrament of Evangelism.
0: Well, I I grew up with uh, faith-loving parents. We went to church every Sunday, but unfortunately I never heard the gospel there. I was told that if I uh, went to a movie and Jesus came back, he wouldn't go in the theater to get me. <laughs> I'd go straight to hell. Yeah, I, I remember
1: that I was taught the same. Right?
0: I I wanted desperately to see Walt Disney's The Shaggy Dog, but didn't know if
1: it was worth risking you my know, eternal know, I did destiny. sneak in to see The Shaggy Dog because my older sister took me. Uh, interesting, you should mention that.
0: Well, the neighbor lady came down and asked my mother if we could go with her boys to see The Shaggy Dog, and I'm looking at my mother with complete ambivalence. I want to go, on one hand, scared stiff. on the other. (laughs) When my mother said we could go, I began to wonder if she really loved me, that she would put my life in such eternal peril. (laughs) And I was miserable the whole time. And as a child, I was told if I lived a holy and righteous life all my life, but had a bad thought the last second of my life, I'd go to hell forever. Mm -hmm. And I deduced as as a boy that if I could lose this based on what I did, I would have to gain it based on what I did. And I was always in trouble. So I just thought, I'm, I'm destined for hell. And I was I was miserable. I, I, I thought my only hope for any enjoyment in life is to just blow out the boundaries and live a rather wild life. I, I, I never got involved in sexual things, but I, I drank in high school. I used to carry a gun to school. I grew up in, in South Central Los Angeles. And, and, and uh, the consequence of all of that was my mother found the gun one day. Uh, loaded between my mattresses, and and was looking at thought it was a starter pistol for track. I was oh. an athlete back then, and she pulled the trigger and blew a hole through the mattress. Oh, called me no. up at my friend's house. Oh. I came home. She's weeping, thinking her son's going to go to prison, oh. and she ends up giving me back the gun. There's a woman who's got a moment of disequilibrium. <laughs> she doesn't know what to do, so I would never have given the gun back to my son. But nevertheless, it brought me to the place where I realized the life I was living was a miserable life. I was miserable. I was hurting myself. I was hurting the people who cared for me. And I went to college in complete existential despair. I had no academic interest at that time, but I went to play sports. But I, I just was miserable. My interior life was just uh, ribbons. It was just ruined. And, and, and my older brother was a Christian and he took me to a Campus Crusade for Christ meeting, and I heard the gospel for the first time, that God of the universe knew me and loved me unconditionally. Hmm. And not only that, he extended that love to me in the form of forgiveness and forgave me of my sins, gave me the hope of heaven, and gave me the opportunity to learn honestly my failures and look at them, grow from them, not, be, not just lay in the, in the muck of them, but grow from them. And consequently, it gave me a value for life as well, and then set me on a sense of purpose. So I ended up sharing Christ with every guy. So at, it was a radical turn right away for you? R- right away. Right. Uh, well, the changes as far as my character, they, they're they still emerging slowly. <laughs> but, but there were major changes that began to occur, and a sense of If God loves us like this, and if he forgives us, I want everybody to know this. So I shared Christ with every guy I played football with every year in college. We saw about 15 a year come to faith. The guys I wrestled with in college, I shared Christ with them, and many of them came to faith. And it it kind of set the trajectory for my life. That's remarkable.
1: It must have been in the early days of Campus
0: Crusade, too. Um, crusade had been around about probably 15 years. This was back in 1968. Okay. But, but some other things happened too. I read my Bible through that year from cover to cover. My mind woke up and I'm in my 46th read through the scriptures now and uh, 31 times through the New Testament. Besides that, I can't put it down, but it's not a book that closes you down to one. Right. If you read that book, it opens you up to right. everything.
1: Yeah, you're discovering something new every time, aren't you?
0: Yep. Yeah, and I, my older brother was pretty academic, and he was always talking about the great books of the Western world edited by Mortimer Adler and so on. So I went to the library one day, and I just saw them, and I pulled out Volume 33 because it was my jersey number, and I, <laughs> it was Pascal pense. And I read through that book. I've read it I don't know how many times since then. And again, my mind started waking up to academic issues, I was sharing my faith. People were asking me really good questions. If God's good and all-powerful, why does evil exist in the universe? I had never once asked that question growing up. It wasn't until I started sharing my faith, and I heard others ask it. I said, that's a really good question. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I've written a book about it since. It, It intrigues me. But sharing my faith caused me to have to think about things that were concerns for others. People would look at me when I'd share my faith, and they'd say, we don't know how you can call yourself a Christian. Your life's so messed up. And I was realizing I have to go deeper with this. I think sharing my faith opened up all kinds of doors that wouldn't have opened up for me had I not been engaged in that. All right.
1: We'll talk about that aspect a bit later. Yeah. Um, but let, let me take you chronologically. When did this interest in uh, C.S. Lewis begin? You're known as a C.S. Lewis scholar, and you've been studying this man's life for many years.
0: For I've been studying him for 47 years I I started reading Lewis in college. My older sister turned me on to him. She had read uh, the Narnian books to school uh, kids she was teaching. I wanted to find out about him. I found his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. I read that. He talked about these deep longings in his heart and the quest to find the object of the longings. I knew the longings firsthand. I'd never had anybody give me a vocabulary for that region of my soul. Interesting. So I started reading everything I could get my hands on by Lewis. Um, and, And I ended up graduating from college and a man wisely said to me, you don't get an education in college, you lay a foundation for one. And in America, we call the graduation exercises commencement. And he said, you are now going to build on that foundation. Commencement means you build on it. Pick an author who will take you places. Make that author your life study so you keep growing intellectually. I I don't think it has to be an author. I think it could be a composer, an artist, a period of history. It could be an idea that you want to trace. But what a great way to start out. And, And it's been wonderful for me because Lewis opens more than wardrobe doors. He takes you everywhere. And I just started reading him voraciously, and and I get to seminary, and I had to write a thesis, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to write it on the use of the optative mood in the Greek text of Philemon. (laughs) That just wasn't going to hold me. But I wrote it on Lewis, and then all of a sudden I started putting my pen to paper about the things I was learning and started publishing stuff, and Hmm. it's grown from there.
1: Well, just let me ask you quickly, what do we misunderstand about C.S. Lewis?
0: Um, that's an interesting question. I, I, I think because he's so complex, we can know a little bit about him in one area and then start to project on the whole of him that he must be this or that. I, I, I think Lewis, like all of us, is very complex. He has weaknesses and strengths. He has places where there's, there's brokenness and there's places where maybe there was a little arrogance, especially earlier on in his life.
1: But the fact that he was real like that is what draws us to him, isn't it? And the fact that he could look at these things honestly,
0: there seems to be undergirding him a sense of deep security in the love of God, an awareness of God's forgiveness, and also there seems to be extending out from him this remarkable sense of wonder and awe an intellectual curiosity that causes him to engage with ideas asks deep questions is in search of the answer and when he finds the answers it seems to percolate into worship in him and i think this might be something that would most people might miss
1: evangelicals have uh, turned to lewis um, increasingly over the last couple of decades when when did this interest in lewis really begin though i mean he died in 1963 It wasn't until after his death that evangelicals really started to look carefully.
0: Well, you've got people like Clyde Kilby, who was the founder of the Wade Center at Wheaton College, who was using Lewis in his courses as an English professor at Wheaton College. And I think he was the one that helped people, especially if they were struggling with how to have a, a robust intellectual faith. Lewis became a sort of prophet for them. And he was a guide, a seer who was opening these doors. And and, and I think you could probably, if you were going to trace it back, find a lot of it in Kilby. And then the students that Kilby deployed, Wheaton's a very interesting place. The students go off and do remarkable things. And I think a lot of them took that DNA with them.
1: Talk about the experience of teaching students this generation about Lewis and others.
0: Well, I I like to tell the students if they take a Lewis course, it's not really about Lewis. It's really about trying to get a bigger picture of God. Um, Lewis said in a very obscure book nobody ever reads called The Personal Heresy that we don't want to make a spectacle of an author. We want to use that author as spectacles and Mm. see through Mm. their eyes the world that they see. And Lewis is a person very much impressed with the integration of faith and learning. One of the most uh, well-known comments that he made was, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And so when you take Lewis, who has a wide-angle lens, as well as a very focused lens in each of his books— and you help students get exposed to how deeply you can go by virtue of the focus and how wide the subject ranges of the integration of faith and learning, I think it takes their breath away. And I think it gives them this sense of wonder and awe. And that's, it's thrilling for me to see the lights go on in their eyes. I don't teach
1: for money. I teach to see the lights go on in students' eyes. Dr. Jerry Roots will have more of how we can naturally share our faith coming up on First Person. This program is supported each week by the Far East Broadcasting Company. And I'm Ed Cannon, the president of FEBC. These first person stories of God at work in people's lives always encourage me. And at FEBC, we want to encourage you even more with God's Word. Take a moment to sign up for our daily, online, 30-day devotional featuring stories and scripture. You can sign up easily at FirstPersonInterview.com. Go there today. FirstPersonInterview.com. My guest is Jerry Root, Dr. Jerry Root, Professor of Evangelism, Director of Wheaton Evangelism Initiative at the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism. It's really interesting to talk to you, Jerry. I mean, I, I've I've read some of your material through the years and I've I've heard you speak on a couple of occasions, but to sit and hear your story just it fascinates me. That's why I do this program first person.
0: You know, whenever I hear a person's story of faith, I'm a high T on the Myers Briggs, I live in my head, but I find tears start to come. Yeah. And the reason why is because God showed up for that person. Hmm. And I almost feel like I want to take my shoes off because it's holy ground like Moses at the burning bush where God reveals his presence. This changed life is a place where God has shown up. It's it's remarkable to me. Yeah,
1: I agree. I agree. I want to spend our remaining time talking about evangelism. Um, you've written a book called The Sacrament of Evangelism. And we may need to explore that title for a moment. What does it mean to live sacramentally first of all?
0: Well, in, in the high liturgical forms of worship, the sacramental forms, they'll talk about seven sacraments. And each of these sacraments is supposed to be a place where God has showed up uniquely and he's demonstrating grace to others. Well, I, I, I technically believe that God is always showing up and he's always
1: mediating grace. So all of life is a sacrament. In,
0: in, in a sense, I think that's true. So I think that some people stop too short when they stop at two ordinances or seven sacraments. I think this conversation itself is a sacrament. Your listeners, as they listen, it's somewhat sacramental because God may be tugging at their heart and speaking to them. So evangelism then, if I take Christ to somebody, it's a a misunderstanding. I don't take Jesus to anybody. He's already there. He's more deeply in love with that person than you and I will ever be. I just get to go and make explicit what God might be doing implicitly as God's ambassador to that
1: person. I've heard you say that you don't feel that you have the gift of evangelism, but it's a high value for you. Can you explain that?
0: Well, I think it should be a high value for any Christian who takes their faith seriously because Jesus' last words to us are go. It's interesting to me, too, in the Gospels, we find Jesus doing two things. He's, he's making disciples, and he's discipling them and preparing them to go. And that whole uh, school of discipleship is Jesus preparing them to go. And then you've got the, the demoniac, the Gennesaret demoniac, who uh, Jesus heals, casts the demons out. And this guy is begging Jesus to go with him. And Jesus says, no, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go tell others about me. So whether it be the instant follow-up, or the long-term follow-up it's preparing people to be disciples it should be all of our value but but some people are particularly gifted at it i'm not particularly gifted i have learned from my mistakes but i think we should all learn from our mistakes sometimes it's it's difficult and we shouldn't let that dissuade us jesus called us to do this we should stay inclined to the high call and learn from our mistakes and grow i think we want to be attentive to what god's doing in that situation And we can begin to cultivate our own hearts to watch for this sort of thing. But I I believe it begins by asking public questions. What's your name? If you're in a city, like one time I was in Chicago and I met a man and I said, what's your name? He said, Peter. I said, Peter, I'm Jerry. Are you from Chicago? Public question. And he said, no, I grew up in Albuquerque, but when my parents divorced when I was 12, I moved to Chicago with my mother. He didn't have to tell me that. If I ask a public question and a person in the answer gives me details, they also give me permission with those details to ask questions about the details. And those questions allow me to go deeper and deeper as the person allows till I finally come to the felt need, the place where God is tugging on the heart. And I'm not now shooting the gospel arrows at targets that don't exist. I'm aiming at something that's very specific and I am participating with where God is already working in that person's heart. It's not very hard.
1: But, but don't you think that we surmise that everybody wants privacy? They don't want to be asked questions about themselves. We're intruding on their privacy somehow if we ask a simple question like that.
0: I have never met a person whose mind is not going, trying to figure out and understand the meaning of their life. How do I enter into that world? They may keep it private because people have trampled on them people have made their life miserable and so there's a lack of trust that goes on but if i show genuine interest in that person it's amazing to me how often people will let down their guard and in the midst of transparent moments share the things that they're thinking about that they want to make sense of and i again participate with what god's doing in their
1: life and do you ever feel like you hesitate because well what if they ask me a question i can't answer
0: Oh, no, no, no. That's always an opportunity. If somebody asks me a question that I don't I don't know the answer to, I say, that is fascinating. I don't know the answer. Thanks for asking that. I want to find out. By the way, can we get together next week? Because I'm going to go dig. And if we get together next week, maybe I'll have a, not, not the complete answer, but something substantive. So it opens the door for further discussion.
1: Yeah, we come up with all kinds of excuses, don't we?
0: Yeah, I, I think we do because we're afraid. But if I'm afraid... Then, then then, I need to go deeper in my understanding of God's love because it says perfect love casts out
1: fear. What are some of the other things that you talk about in this book? We hardly have time to do the book justice here in a few minutes of conversation, but just another point or two of how we should be looking at is evangelism as a, as a way of life for us.
0: Well, one, one thing in the book is I talk about how to be filled with the Spirit. And, and it's not a, 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 a an ecstatic emotional experience necessarily. It's just fundamentally confessing our sin, inviting God to fill us with his spirit so we would be prompted by him. I I believe God prompts us. And if we listen to his voice, he's economical with his prompts. If we don't listen, he gives them fewer. Hmm. He will always give them once in a while again. And if we start responding, we'll get more prompts.
1: Interesting, yeah.
0: And I get these prompts a lot of times. Jerry, talk to this person. Here's a point. This person just brought something up in the conversation. I, I don't hear an audible voice, but I feel the prompt and I will respond to the prompt. And I am amazed how often the response back is something positive and the conversation opens up. So that becomes an important feature of this book also. I talk about the reasons why we don't share our faith. Um, Abide and bear much fruit, Jesus said. Maybe we're not abiding. Maybe nobody's ever taught us how to share our faith. Well, that's no excuse to stay inert, then we need to go and learn. And then and then the issue of Second uh, uh, Peter 1, 1 through 11, it talks about that we need to be growing in virtue and growing in our faith. And if we're growing in our faith, it says it will make us useful and fruitful. So we, we look at some of those things too. And then follow up. You don't just lead a person to Christ. You want to love on this person and nurture that person so you can deploy them and reproduce a reproducer.
1: this is what you're committed to at this stage of life.
0: I I am, and and I've I've been committed to it pretty early on since I was first a Christian. I just was incompetent. I'm still incompetent, but I'm (laughs) I'm growing in some levels of competence. And I don't think we need to be afraid to grow.
1: Just give us one last bit of encouragement that this is something we not only should be doing, but we can do in the power of the Spirit.
0: Well, I think if you have a really good conversation with somebody— And they seem to be getting it. They seem to understand that God loves them. There's forgiveness available to them. Don't be afraid to say to the person, is there any reason keeping you from trusting Christ right now?
1: Be that direct.
0: Yeah, I I do it all the time. And you're always amazed when the person says, no. You pray with them. I'll give you an example. I was coming back from a theology conference just recently. I'd read a paper there and I get on the plane and I'm sitting by the window And a guy comes in and sits in the middle seat, and he says, rats, I've got a middle seat Well, a little bit of conversations going there. A moment later, a guy comes and sits on the aisle seat, and he says, Professor Root. And I said, you got the drop on me. I don't know you. He says, is it your paper you read at the theology conference? So we start talking about theology, and here's this guy in the middle seat. And I turned to him and asked him his name. He told me. And I said, I don't want you to feel like you're not included in this conversation. We were just at a theology conference. Please feel free to be included. I don't want to talk over you. And then finally, I turned to him and I say, are you a person of spiritual interest? And he said, yeah. I went to Peru and studied with a shaman once. Well, you don't have to. God says he won't put out the smoking flax. <laughs> so don't be put off by that. Just say instead, tell me about that. And he told me, I said, How was that for you? He said, It was a complete downer. Didn't do a thing for me. What's in it for you? he said. And I talked with him about how I'm overwhelmed that the God of the universe knows me and loves me. And I know that anybody who's lived an honest life would want to be loved unconditionally, and anybody who's lived honest life knows they're messed up. And this God who loves us forgives us. I'm overwhelmed. He goes, That's the most moving thing I've ever heard in my life. And I said to him, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to trust Christ right now? And he said, none. And on the plane, he's praying to trust Christ out loud, looking up in the baggage thing as if he thought maybe Jesus was up there <laughs> someplace. And, and and it was so easy. That was the first 15 minutes of the flight. But it's being attentive to what's going on.
1: That gives us courage.
0: Yeah. And asking the question and seeing people respond It lets you know that God is using you in that situation.
1: Dr. Jerry Root. A book he has written, co-authored by Stan Guthrie, is titled The Sacrament of Evangelism, and we'll place a link to the book at firstpersoninterview.com. Thanks for listening to this week's program. We enjoy bringing you these conversations and trust that you are encouraged and strengthened in your faith because of them. Now, before we leave, I'd like to ask you to visit our webpage and sign up to receive a powerful online devotional called How Shall They Hear?, Each day, via email, you'll receive another story of a life changed spiritually through the broadcast of the Far East Broadcasting Company. Each story is combined with Scripture to give you a powerful thought from God's Word each day. Sign up at FirstPersonInterview.com. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to join us next week for First Person.